0: But not strange. Uh, how many do not have an outline this morning? Raise your hand, real quick. All right, um, brother Carlos, can you do me a favor? Can you run out and get the outlines that are in the center of the table, and then uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have you raise your hands again. And Carlos is going to run back in and grant you some. Do you have some there, Randy? Go ahead and lift up your hand, real quick, and hand them out. Very good, Miss Evelyn's right there. There's some over here. Carlos can't find them because you already got them. He he already interrupted you. He got them. You have two, which is good because you have an Oakland Athletics jersey on and I don't want you parading around spreading the virus. (laughs) Is that one on? Very good. Anybody else need an outline real quick? There we go. Good. First Samuel chapter eight. And uh, we started the message last week, sad but not strange. It's the story of Samuel, who was a great man of God. And I would say this before. I get too far into it. If you have not listened to that message or you weren't unable to listen or attend, um, it, it would behoove you to go back and listen to that uh, in addition to today's message and get a foundation. You'll kind of get a little bit more of the heart of the message than before. Because I, I, I will not re-preach last week's message again. All right, That's why the blank should be filled out for you. And some of you are saying, yes, thank God, that would be forever. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 5 And uh, I'm going to have you go ahead and stand with me, if you would, please, out of respect for the Word of God. I hope you've been reading your Bible. I used to do this thing years ago where I would say uh, on a regular, irregular basis, how many have a red Bible, if you have a red Bible? And I would say, if you have a red Bible, raise your uh, hand up or raise your Bible. And people would raise their hand and uh, there would be like one. And I said, no, no, I think you misunderstand me. How many have read their Bible? You now have a red Bible. You read your Bible this week. And then... Then it was even more embarrassing. You were like, oh, yeah, I did read it, but I didn't read it. Uh. And, uh, and the idea is, you know, we should be in the Bible. We should be reading the Bible. We should be saturating our heart with it. It's, it, it feeds our spirit. It renews our mind every single time we read it. And, uh, and so we want to do that today. And in honor of that, we want to stand and just give our allegiance to the Lord. The Bible says in First Samuel chapter 8, And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now, the name of the firstborn was Joel. Joel, and the name of the second was Abiah, they were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel and to Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd bless the word of God today. I'm so thankful. God, I'm so thankful that you've given it to us. Lord, you've given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, as we open your word, I pray that you would bless it. I pray that you would bless it as the water and the bread that we need today. Lord, you said man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. And as we read it, God, we not only want to thank you for it, but we want to ask you to use it in our lives. That, Lord, that it would discern the thoughts and intents of our heart that it would help us as parents, Lord, as Christians, Father, as your children. And I pray that it would have free course. I ask again that you'd bless these that are here. And, Lord, I need need your blessing. I need you to help me to get out of your way today and fill me with your spirit. I need you so desperately. I pray that you'd clear my mind, settle my heart. I pray that you'd use me for your glory and to be a help. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. As we learned last week, it truly is sad when a child of good Christians decides not to walk with God. They decide to walk away from God, like Samuel's sons. In fact, some in some cases, it's tragic. But we now uh, but we now know, based on statistics, that though it may be sad, it's not really strange. Remember, we learned last week that ninety percent, more than ninety percent, of the teenagers today will walk away from the faith of their parents. When they kept, when they become adults, so it becomes the norm. That has become the national norm, in, in fact. But as we said before, that it doesn't have to be the norm in your home. Doesn't have to be the norm. It, it doesn't have to be the expected. Well, you know, uh, and you have run into them as many as I have run into them. Uh, I was raised in church. I went to church. Well, I went to church when my parents made me go. And now that I'm an adult, I just don't go. That's the norm. But it doesn't have to be the norm. Last week, we cited Bible examples of parents who raised their children in such a way that when they were adults, they didn't depart from their faith. And by God's grace, we can pray that ours stay faithful, too. Now, we learned, in addition, that if our children are going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ when they become adults, that they have to have an example of what that looks like um, while they're growing up. And as we continue this message, I want to try to encourage you as one parent to another. Uh, I I don't think that I've arrived. I'm not the perfect parent. I have children to prove it Um, I have a wife that proves it. Uh, I'm not the perfect parent. We're not the perfect parents There is no such thing as a perfect parent and there's no such thing as a perfect child But there is such uh, such a thing as the perfect will of god And there is such a thing as the perfect plan for god's will and so as we look from one parent to another I want to I want to try to encourage you in the matter of helping your children to find their walk with God as they're still walking behind you. So, number one, uh, as we looked at our outlines last week, if you look on yours this morning, if we're going to have a chance, if your kids are ever going to have a chance at walking with God, they have have to have the right example. And we talked about the right example of faith, and and the, the faith example they need to see is not just one talked about, it's one that they physically see. We talked about uh, the example of parenting or fatherhood, what, what it actually looks like so that they can have a baseline. We went into that. Uh, and then what a servant looks like, servanthood. They need to see the example of that, not just being polite and not burping in public or wiping their mouth or not talking with their mouth full, uh, all those things that some of us do on a regular basis. Uh, some of you have been so good over the years when you eat with me and uh, and you cover your mouth if you have something, and, and I've learned that from you because I just always talk with my mouth full all the time. Because I'm always talking, and, uh, and some of you have taught me that, so thank you for teaching me to be polite. But, but having a servant heart goes far beyond just uh, social graces, would you agree? Uh, it goes far beyond that, and that's part of the example. Now, that's, that's the review of last week, and that was that, that's how fast. Now, the next three points are not going to be as fast, but hopefully they'll be as helpful as last week was, all right? Now, if, if we're going to help fight against that norm, if we're going to parent our children to have a walk with God, that we really want them to have. Secondly, we've got to be careful to maintain balanced priorities. We just have to, we've got to maintain them. Now, when you talk about the balance of priorities as a Christian, I want you to understand that it presupposes that your priorities are right in order to begin with. All right. So I'm not necessarily going to spell that out with you. We'll save that for a counseling session if you need one, but it presupposes that you have them in order already uh, that they're in the right order to begin with, uh, but but maybe they're not. All right, maybe just by your own admittance, the Holy Spirit of God would say, "Okay, listen, because there's some priorities in your life that are missing, uh, or that we need to get right." All right, now let, let's just start here. Deuteronomy. I think you may have this in your notes. Deuteronomy chapter six and verse five: "Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart." Boy, that's the number one thing to start with. That that's where every Christian begins and should really end. Every single day of their life. This is the Shema. This is what Jews, they begin the day with, they end the day with because they want to be reminded of the importance of God in their life. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. And look, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto your neighbor's kids. It doesn't say that in my version unto thine children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Now what does that mean? Does that mean that I'm supposed to be just preaching the Bible to my kids all day long, whenever we eat, whenever we walk, whenever we go? No, but it does mean that you should be have you should at least have a Bible verse ready to go if they have a question, or at least an application for their life. Hello? Why? Because children are curious. Children want to know. Someone was telling me just the other day that uh, they get in the car and and, and their kids are getting up in age, that 12, 13, you know, where they start to think they have, you know, it's cool cool to ignore your parents and to be quiet and sit with a hoodie on and your head buds in and just do this all day long and, and never get any communication done. And then he said, my kid sits in the car, he doesn't say anything. And then about 10 minutes later, he said, I'm so thankful for this. He goes, Dad, I have a question. That's a good place to be, that your kids are still... Curious, especially if it's a Bible question. Dad, I have a question. Did Adam have a navel? Who who, who, who did Cain and Abel marry? You know, all those great questions. Why is the sky blue? Are there Quakers on the moon? Uh, all, all those things that, you know, may blow our mind and stuff. Uh, or, or not. Dad, what does the Bible mean by atonement? I read that today in my devotions. Well, that's the kind of discussion you want. That's what it's talking about. In your daily life, being able to pull, you know, the best teachers that have ever lived have been able to take full advantage of every teaching moment. And that's part of parenting. I was on my walk today, and I thought, you know, what is parenting? I may write a book. What is parenting? No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, What is parenting? Well, parenting is teaching. But it's not just teaching. Uh, Parenting is mentoring. And mentoring has to do with exam, being example. And, and and that's what we're talking about here is saying, okay, well, if I'm going to be an example, and be the right kind of example, I've got to have the right priorities. If I'm going to balance them correctly, I've got to start with the most important one. If God and his kingdom are our highest priorities and his will drives everything that we do, then and only then are we going to have a balanced life. So in order to maintain that balance... Everything we, we do must be filtered by the purpose and our love for God, the purpose of God in our life and our love for him. So let's just think about this. I want to get your brains going again this morning. How many at least had one cup of coffee or a half a cup of coffee? You have some caffeine in you. Good. All right. So let's just think about two things this morning real quick. Number one, let's just think about the cycle of balance, the cycle of balance. Now, most jobs uh, experience a cycle. All right. That is times in the fiscal year that are more busy than others. How many know what I'm talking about? You you automatically have that. In fact, for some people in our church, it happens on a monthly basis. That's called month end. And if you deal in that realm, then month end is, is way more busy. We have people that don't get off work till way later at the end of the month because they're trying to do everything they possibly can to make sure the right amount of money went here and the right amount of money went there. What are they trying to do? They're trying to balance uh, this busy time and they try to balance everything their stewardship is so when you think about jobs you say well yeah that's normal but guess what it happens in families there's a cycle in families lives that are sometimes more busy than others sometimes the end of the month requires more work sometimes the various seasons of the year cause there to be more work then on top of our vocational responsibilities there are extracurricular roles that play a part in the cycle of, of the balance uh, of priorities. Now. Then, of course, just add to that, add to that the natural cycle of health uh, and emotional maturation process of going from adolescent to teen to adult. All of that, it kind of makes us get a little stressed out. When I wrote that, I was like, man, I feel a little stressed just thinking about it. But when you think of life and you think of the, the busyness of the year, whether it's around the holidays, whether it's around, a, 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 a you know, we, we had a, w- a wedding, the you know, students had a wedding, there are certain times where it gets more stressful. There's a lot more details. And then there's times when there's not a lot. All right. But that cycle of balance is what we want to try to make sure that we maintain in there. We say, okay, no matter how busy it is, no matter how uh, recreational it may be, no matter where we are in our life, is God still the priority? And can I still look at all the busyness and all the to do lists and all of the obligatory items that I that I have on my devices that remind me of where and who and when I'm supposed to be? Can I honestly say I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Can I honestly look at my priorities, my to do's and say, God, you're my number one priority. You're the top of my list every day to love you with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. And my neighbor is myself. And and, and I want that. I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit of God can tell a sensitive heart when they're out of balance. And he may be telling you that right now. You may be out of balance because you're trying to control everything. You may be out of balance because. You don't care who's in control of everything, and you're kind of just flying by the seat of your pants or letting the wind blow you back and forth. That's out of balance, too, by the way. So the fact is, if you want to know whether you're in balance and you have the right priorities or not, just ask the Lord. Say, God, is my life out of balance? Do I have, am I paying way more attention to things that are going to vaporize when I leave this earth or when you melt it with your holy word? Am I am I putting too much weight and energy and time and finance into things that don't matter as much as I do you? Because that's being out of balance in order to maintain a spiritual balance. We've got to filter everything we do by the purpose of God and our love and commitment to him. Let me give you a Bible example. Would you mind turn to second second Corinthians this morning? Second Corinthians chapter five. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is loaded. You could probably preach an entire year out of the entire chapter. But I want you to look at just two verses. And, and I want to continually remind you, some of you that have been around here for uh, a long time, understand this. People in the Bible are just like you. There's no difference. Well, No, no, that's not true. They're like saints. Well, if you're born again, the Bible calls you a saint. You're a set-apart one for God. Well, yeah, but I I didn't do all that kind of... It doesn't matter. Elijah, who called down fire from God, was a man of like passing such as we. Yet he prayed, and the heavens shut up for three years. So the fact of the matter is, don't make Bible people what they are not. They're people that were real, like you and I had real emotions and real struggles. The difference in some of their lives is that they utilize the grace of God a little bit more than others. For instance, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live, <coughs> excuse me, should, uh, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. It doesn't matter what your occupation is. Well, say, well that's, for, that's not for a pastor. That's for a Christian. He's doing what he's doing. He's saying what he's saying so that every Christian would step back and say, "Okay, this is all the stuff I've got to do. But what's the filter? The love of God, my love for God, his love for me. And and that drives our lives. So what What, what's the consequence of it, of him not being that priority? Well, look at verse 15. You're going to live for yourself and not for God. That all which live should live unto him which died for them and rose again. The idea is the balance of life happens when the right priority is the main priority. And the main priority is the Lord Jesus Christ. Can somebody testify to that this morning? All right. Now, that's the cycle of balances. That's the cycle of your life. I get it. You're going to be more busy than others, sometimes self-imposed, sometimes not. But in order to maintain that balance so that you don't get cattywampus, has anybody ever driven a car that's out of balance, their wheels are out of balance? And I I I actually went to the tire place, got brand uh, tires, got brand new tires, got the balances on there. I got a half a mile down the road and I was driving and it sounded like someone shot my truck. And I was like, well, that's weird. That's never happened. Turn around and went back and he goes, oh, yeah, you threw a weight. And that's never happened. Anybody ever thrown a weight before on your tire? Well, there's a reason. This is actually a cool illustration. There's a reason that you balance your tires so that it turns in a perfect circle and it doesn't get wonky doesn't become oval right because if it does then you go down the road like this now what's wrong with my car this must be the shocks no it's probably the tires that's the way where you start well when it gets out of balance what do they do they put it on the little thingy and they spin it really quick and the computer goes okay here's where you need to put listen all of the weights and the computer tells the the technician where to put the weight and sometimes if you look at a tire you could go out today look at the tires look at your own tires first but you look at the tires in the parking lot. And you'll see, wait, sometimes they're all on one side, a lot of them. And that means the emphasis needs to be put more in that place in order for the tire to spin perfectly in a circle. That's your life before God. Better, that's your life before your family here. Is that God says, okay, let let me give you the perfect sphere, the Word of God. And let me tell you by the Holy Spirit of God... That you're going to go in an oval and as long as you're living your life in an oval, it's going to be rough. What I want you to do is to put some emphasis right here. That's why I want your emphasis. I I want you to pay attention. I want you to focus and remember one thing. I love you and I died to prove it. Amen. Amen. Now, if that's the case and that's where everything is being filtered through, then my ride will still be busy and it still may be fast. But at least with the Holy Spirit, you have an S-rated tire. And you're going to be able to handle all the bumps and all the load, and you'll be able to be in balance. It's the cycle of balances. So, letter B, this is really just common sense, but I think it has to be said. You need to confess your balance, being out of balance. Confess when you're out of balance. James 5, 16, confess your fault, confess your, your faults one to another. Now, that's a good place to start when you're a dad, when you're a mom. It's a good place to start is to look at your spouse, to look at your children and say, you know what? We're going to have a family meeting. I've been out of balance. Our family's been out of balance. We've not put the right emphasis. The weights have been all over here. They need to be they need to be distributed or they need to be over here now in order to balance this thing we call life. And and, and we need to love God more. And, And you say, well, what's the measure of that? How you live your life. What you do to please the Lord and by faith, Hebrews eleven six, 6, all of that is important. Okay, I get it. We all get out of balance and it's as easy for me as it is for you. But when we get out of balance, what helps? Confessing the fact that you're out of balance. Confess your, your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confess it to yourself first, but make sure you also confess it to the Lord. Make sure you go to God and say, you know, God, I told my family and we're here. That's a good time right there. Lord, we're here because we're out of balance. Our emphasis has not been on the main thing or on the right things or on the right things through the love of God. And we want to ask you to forgive us. God, forgive me as the dad or the mom, whatever. Forgive us because we need your mercy today. And and will you please help us? You know, it's one thing to ask God to forgive you. It's another thing to ask him to keep you from doing the same thing again. Well, would you help us not to repeat this? By the way, it's great that if we do, he's still faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And he'll say, okay, uh, aren't you glad that when you go, Dave, aren't you glad when you go to America's Tires and you get your tires all set up and they're all balanced and you leave there? Like a year later, you go back and, and they don't say, no, you bought them. Sorry. Sorry, dude. You got to go somewhere else to get a balance. No, America's Tires. By the way, everybody should use America's Tires. You Go back, get your flats fixed for free. And even if you don't have America's Tires, they'll do it for free. And you get balanced all the rest of the life of the tire. You just go back. They're out of balance again. And, and, and they fix them. Aren't you glad that whenever we get out of balance and every time we get out of balance, that God still fixes us, that he still takes the word of God and says, look, let's put some weight in the right place. Let's get this thing fixed. I seek to involve my children in various activities, even as I seek different activities for myself and family. But I've got to make sure that God has preeminence in my life. I've got to make sure that he remains the head of the body, of the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. You see, when he has preeminence, miraculously, there is always time for everything that's important. When God is the most important one in my life, it's amazing what he does to time. It multiplies it. When your children see the example, the rhythm and the blessing of the Christian life in motion, they can see themselves repeating it when they become adults. They can envision themselves taking their kids to church. They can envision themselves sitting down with somebody at coffee and talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. They can envision themselves looking at a little boy or a little girl and singing songs that come from God. Pointing them in the way they should go. They can envision them doing that. And they cherish it. Why? Because you're living by the love and commitment to God. Balance. Set a good example, number two, maintain balanced priorities. Number three, this one is extremely important, one that I am continually learning as a 30-year-old vet (laughs) of a parent. So you're not 30. No, I'm not 30, but I've been raising kids forever. And uh, shepherd your child's heart. Shepherd your child's heart. One way we can greatly help our children, especially before they're teenagers, is to guide them spiritually in God's Word while we are guiding them physically in this world A lot of parents do a great job teaching them, cross the street, look both ways. Uh, you got to brush your teeth. Some of you teenagers need to learn that one still. Uh, Or better, use deodorant. I said to some parents uh, on Friday, I said, look, make sure, especially the boys, and if they're 12, 13, 14, that they know what the word toiletries refers to. More specifically, deodorant, and then command them, thou shalt put on deodorant every day of your life. And then some of them need to be reminded, thou shalt take a shower every day of your life. Um, I gave some really awful examples of teenagers that I grew up with, and I was just like, dude, you smell. And you scoot over or whatever. Uh, you, you don't want to be that guy. Um, for a lot of reasons, you don't want to be that guy. Um, I say, well, why don't you say put on the girls? Because girls are way cleaner than boys, and because they're smarter. That's why. Um, but, but, But think about that. Think about we do a good job of guiding them in this world. But could we do a better job of guiding them in the Word of God? Could we do a better job spiritually? I say to me, Kyle, and for Cammie, yes, we can. We can do a better job of that. I want to do a better job of that. I want to do a better job for my grandchildren, if my children let me. I want that. All right. If we're not careful, we as parents can leave this responsibility to someone else. I'll leave it to the Christian school. I'll leave it to the church. Um, but can I say it? It's our job to shepherd their hearts, not somebody else. When, when God gave you a baby, he gave him to you. Not to the Christian school, not not to the church. We're glad to help. But it, it, it and, and that's the way it should be. Is that you're me and you at home, we're going to shepherd our children. Then we come to church and we get some help with that. And really, what's the help? It's supposed to be reinforcement. I'll say that again. It's supposed to be reinforcement. It's supposed to reinforce what you're hopefully doing. And by the way, if you're not okay, confess it, start over again. Today's a new day. Guess what? God's mercy is worth new today when you woke up and his grace is still sufficient today. So just start over, push the reset button and push it again tomorrow and push it again tomorrow and push it again tomorrow. Whatever it takes, just don't stop. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 9, only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently. Lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen unless they depart from thine heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy son's sons. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way that he should go when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And and that's a great verse to hold on to. Uh, And I'll circle back to that at the very end of this. okay? because we know uh, we can do a lot of things and things still turn out differently. So we'll circle back to that. While we can be diligent in reading the Bible to them and praying with them, shepherding their heart goes well beyond the routine of just reading the Bible. Okay, Let me give you a few suggestions, and I'm going to do my best to slam through this. First of all, letter A, teach them to identify the dangers of the flesh. Now, I listed there two passages of Scripture that are very grim passages of Scripture. But there's nothing wrong with sitting down with your children and teaching them. Okay, what I'm about to show you is two places in the Bible where God gets very specific As to the atrocity of sin. Teach them that the sin is deceitful. And when it loses its deceitfulness, it loses its destructiveness. And when it loses its destructiveness, they will go deliberately right to it. So teach them. My flesh is a dangerous enemy of God's will. And so is yours. It's the first enemy that we address. It is wicked. You say, you call me wicked? Yeah. Yeah. And your kids are, too. And my kids are, too. I'm a wicked person. Naturally, my flesh is wicked. In fact, my flesh is deceitful. And they're both of those things above all things. The Bible says and left unchecked. My flesh will lead me in the paths of destruction. Then I need to use the Bible to show my children what happens when you give into the flesh. And there are plenty of examples in the Bible. By the way, some of you may know some good examples outside the Bible. Some of you may have some examples in your own family where you know, well, this is what happens when you give in to the flesh. This is, this is the result. Let me give you a couple Bible verses to jot down. Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So let you just love the way God puts it? This cuts right to the chase, doesn't he? Proverbs 14, 14. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. The fact of the matter is, as one author put it, our bodies are hardwired for sin. Our natural tendency is anti-authority, self-promoting, and bent in opposition to God. You can get to heaven and thank Eve for that. That came to you naturally. I have said, if I've said it once, I've said it 10,000 times to parents. Did you teach your children how to lie? Mike, did you, teach, did you sit down? Your baby girl's how old now, the baby, baby. Nine months. Okay. So you, you have a plan on your calendar to sit down in like maybe six or eight months and say to her, okay, sweetheart, now here's, here's lying 101. The other ones are just fine The other ones, yeah. She, the, you, now, see, that's the other thing. Well, they learned it from their sister. Right? If you're not hang around your sister, you wouldn't be such a liar. Or when they get in trouble, the wife always says, that's your son. <laughs> yeah, it's my fault that they're liars. Um, and, and it really is. Where, where's the bloodline come from, from our parents, from their parents. And and, and you say, well, my parents are good people. Yes, they are. But they're sinners by birth, according to the word of the living God. That's not me. I'm not judging your family. God's already predetermined that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That, 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 that as sparks fly upward, so doth a man or so is a man in his trouble. A, A child is left in trouble. So all we have to do is look at ourselves and consider, oh yeah, I, I didn't get taught how to be bad by somebody. I did that fine on my own. At nine months old, that baby is demanding. Yes? Can you say amen? Amen. <laughs> Don't lose me now. I just had breakfast with you this week. That baby is demanding and selfish, and I want it now. Impatient. Everything that many of us still are. The fact of the matter is, I've got to teach them how to de- Identify. Do you understand right now that what you're doing is very carnal, is very fleshly? So then, now let me bring it down another level, put the cookies down and unwrap them for you. Attitudes. Subtlety, half-truths, unwillingness to communicate. Regardless of how it's manifested, listen, it's the flesh. And I'm convinced, yeah, you should... Pray a hedge around your children and protect them from Satan, but you also need to ask God to protect them from themselves. They need that. They they may seem little now, those little attitudes, those little ignoring you, saying stuff under their breath. I'm trying to work with Braden, he's ten and he's already developed some of Austin's characteristics or earlier than normal. They're little foxes. But remember what the Bible says about little foxes. They're the ones that spoil the vine. Because you think, oh, well, they're just so little. Oh, they're so cute when they're in rebellion. (laughs) Yeah, give them a few years. It's not going to be so cute. Can I get an amen right there? Yeah. Uh, Number one, teach them to identify the flesh. Number two, teach teach them the importance of recognizing the Spirit. You say, how do you do that? Easy. It's the opposite of the flesh. The Holy Spirit is God living in you. Telling you whose you are and what's right to do. The idea here is that the life of a Christian doesn't look like, sound like, or taste like the life of an unbeliever. Ephesians 5, verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now you're light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Help your kids get acquainted with the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of them. Once they are saved and teach them that he is their guide into the reality of truth and how to follow him. Teach them how to learn to say yes. This entire week is going to be focused on helping teenagers say yes to the spirit and no to the flesh. You could summarize all five days of two or three times a day preaching as this. We want to help teenagers in the society they live in recognize what is fleshly. And listen to and recognize and follow what is spiritual. And say, now that's how you listen and follow the spirit. How many sitting in here today with a testimony of salvation say, I know the difference between when the spirit of God speaks to me or when my flesh is pulling me in a specific direction? How many would just be honest? I know what that feels like. Okay. Can you teach your children how to do that? So that they don't have to make it on a grand scale after they're married with a few children and a mortgage and, and a boss. It would be better to teach it to them while they're young. Amen? Amen. It would be far better. Teach them to recognize and follow the spirit. Number three, teach them with, teach them uh, that with the right spirit or attitude, you can talk about anything. Teach them. I, I, I've never made this a specific point. I've always made it a, a, a just kind of a, buy, a, a pass you by thing. But... Um, Teach them, what is the right spirit? You ever thought about that? You talk about, you know, if you have teenagers, you know, and if you ever were a teenager, you know this word, attitude. I know that word very well. I lived in a constant state of attitude, as my dad would put it. Walk in the house, deal with them, and walk out of the house in the attitude mode all the time. I was awful as a teenager. We, Kami and I still beg God for grace and mercy so that our children don't have to deal with all of my sin just me and 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 i was constantly living in the wrong attitude my dad would often say change your attitude or i'll change it for you or he would give he would give the shot across the bow uh sounds like somebody needs an attitude adjustment you ever heard that anybody ever heard that statement that was a big in the 80s attitude adjustment um and and i knew what that meant could be a broom handle could be a belt It could be anything that he could get, a hose, a hoe, whatever he could get his hands on, uh, or not. But but that was just the day and age we lived in. Now, I'm not going to address the fact that he maybe did some things questionable disciplinary-wise, but he was right on with the attitude thing. And he could smell it. He'd come in the house, Kyle, do you have an attitude? Not even see me, he'd just know. Or look at his wife, he's got attitude again, huh? Okay, I'm going to go take my belt off and go whoop him. The, The fact of the matter is, what is the right kind of attitude? You ever thought about that? Well, what we think is, you know, we <laughs> we want them to, never mind. Let me, let, write it down. I'm going to write it down. Ready? What's the right attitude? A humble spirit. See, was that just because you're a, you're a, a, a tyrannical leader and you, you know, you're like General Patton at home? No, because the Bible says, likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all you, all of you be subject to one to another and be clothed with humility. That is. That's where it's at. And here's why, kids. Here's why it's the right kind of attitude. For God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And and, and all the things that you think you need to have to hold on to. And the next verse takes care of all that. Casting all your care on him because he cares for you. See, the fact of the matter is the genuine humility in life will get you much further with God and men. And men. You know what I appreciate? Does anybody here work in customer service? You know what I appreciate? It is a humble person who works in customer service. And they say things like, man, I'm so sorry that happened to you. How can we help? How can we fix that? Well, you know, you call, you got both barrels loaded. And you're ready for some guy who lives in a far eastern country who doesn't even know your situation. You can barely understand to to tell you all the reasons why they're not going to help you. And you're just like, ah. And then all of a sudden he goes, sir, I'm so so sorry that happened to you. How can we help? How can we fix that? And you go, let me unload first and take all these bullets out. I was going to shoot you in the eye with this arrow. And you relax. Why? Because you get much farther with God and man with the right spirit. You get grace. It's not an accident that the Bible says of Jesus that he grew in stature and in favor, both with God and men. That tells you exactly what kind of spirit he has. And if you still question it, just read Philippians chapter two. The Bible says that he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, a humble spirit. Don't you think that you would have way less issues with your teenager and teenagers? You listen to me. You'll have way less issues with each other and with your parents if you came into your parents with a humble spirit than with an attitude. And all God's parents said, amen. We, 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 as much as the devil tells you, otherwise we're not against you. We're for you, but you got to unlock what grace is. And if you come in in the right spirit, we can talk about anything. We can talk about all kinds of stuff. We can get deep as deep as a mom and dad can get with the son. We can do what we've got to do to help you. Because if you look at it this way, we're customer service. You may not like the decision we made, but if you come to me with the, with the right attitude, we can talk about anything. Just come in with the right attitude. What if we come with a bad attitude? We'll have a different conversation altogether. And it will have nothing to do with the subject matter. A genuine humility in life will get you much farther. Let me give you a couple verses to write down. Proverbs sixteen nineteen: Better it is to be of an humble spirit with a lowly than to divide the spoil with a proud. Proverbs 29, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. That is a great verse. And then, of course, James 4, 6, but he giveth more grace. Letter D, teach them to love the Lord and surrender to his will. Just teach them to love the Lord and surrender. I, I hope that you are praying for your children to surrender And to live in the will of God for their lives. That is, teach them the importance of involving God in all of their decisions. And you can give them a verse. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean on into your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he shall direct your paths. There are so many people that either don't know what they should be doing. Or don't know what they want to do. And they've never yielded and trusted God yet. They're trying to figure it out on their own. If you do that with your heart, you can make a lot of bad decisions. And there are parents sitting in here that could warn you about those things. All of us have made decisions outside of the acknowledgement of God. And man, for the life of our family, we wish we didn't do that. But you don't have to do that. Young people, you can trust God today. And you can acknowledge him today. And as parents, our job is to teach you to do that. We don't want, hopefully there's not parents in here wanting to clone themselves in you. Hopefully, instead of being conformed to the image of this world, there are parents that are teaching you how to transform yourself into the image of Jesus Christ, Romans 12. It's better that be done than you try to push your kids in an area of success, not knowing that that is absolutely God's will for their life. Amen. If God does not want them to do all of that, then they shouldn't do it. I really don't care what you think, and neither does God. What God wants is his will done. And we don't help our children make right decisions if we don't involve them in that. Decisions like what? Uh, we're to marry a person of like faith. And, and there there have been enough people in our church and filled churches who go to church as a single spouse because their spouse isn't saved. Or they don't like to hear about God and don't like to hear the, their lives being sold out for, for Christ. Teach them to. They need. They need. They need to trust the Lord and surrender to his will about who to marry and and uh, to have the job God wants to use for his glory. Oh, and to have neighbors that they can witness to. Oh, and to have friends that, that will encourage their walk with God and that they can cr- encourage. Oh, and that they will live a particular life for Christ, not a life conformed to the world. I, I, I It's my job to teach them in the way they should go. And that's to tell them, listen, I want you to surrender your life. I've been praying and praying and praying. Kim and I. Praying that teenagers this week would fully 100% surrender to the will of God for their life. Whether it's football, whether it's whatever other sport, or whatever the drive is in their life, that they would say, you know what, God, this is important to me when I got to camp, but it's not now. You can have it. Whatever that is, I am giving that to you because I don't want anything to stand between your will for my life and me want you to have it. That's surrender. Letter E, teach them about unconditional love. Love should be both spoken and felt from a heart that is full of the love of God personally. Colossians two two, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. All Paul wanted was for Christians to love God and to grow in that love. And that love is what changes everything else around them. Does everybody understand that? I don't want to take too much time on that. Let's go to number four. Pray for amazing grace. Now, let's talk about the obvious elephant in the room in our text. We know that Samuel loved God, and though he was not perfect, we can assume. We talked about the possibilities last week of why they went astray. But we could also assume that he did everything he knew to do. We could assume that. And yet his boys still turned their back on God. I don't know about you, but if I was Samuel, that that day would have hurt. It would have hurt me. And, and if you if you have had or if you have a child that has turned their back on God, it hurts. As a parent, it hurts. I I, I have wept over that passage and thinking God, and it still could happen. As long as my children are alive, they could still walk away from God. That is a personal reality and a nightmare for any Christian. That even nominally loves God. Because why? Because you know that maybe you could have done something better. Well, let's assume that he did everything right. Let's assume that you do everything right. Let's assume that even if you don't do everything right, that they walked away from God. Write this phrase down. That's, That's what grace is for. That's what grace is for. We need God's grace to keep going when we're discouraged. Or worse, when our children are discouraged. Oh, it's nothing worse than looking at your kids and seeing that they're either in a funk or they're going through something. And you're looking at them and, and it, it might as well be a 15,000 piece puzzle. And you haven't even started. You look at them and you go. I, I don't even know where to begin. I you look at your wife. She looks at you. I, I don't know what to even say to him. I don't know how to address this. And, and maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there. Maybe, I, I can tell you this, more than likely you'll be there at some, at some level. I don't, I don't know how to even begin this. That's what grace is for. Now let's rewind. You can't have grace without humility. When I go to God and I confess my fault and say, God, I, have I missed it somewhere? and he puts his finger on it, just confess it and get it over with. Peel the scab off quickly so that he can put his salve of grace on there and, and, and start down the line. God, I, I don't understand my kid. You ever look at your teenager and go, what planet are you on? Especially with all the stuff they do and say now. My 10-year-old, 10-year-old squared me away the other day. Dad, okay, you know a lot of stuff about this. And you're an expert in blah, 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 blah. But I'm the expert in tech around here. He's 10 years old. How much tech can he really know? I'm the expert on tech. If it comes to the TV or whatever, just ask me. Oh, yeah? Well, I've got the remote control. I mean, I w- I've never been so squared away on things that I don't know by a 10 year old in my entire life. It's amazing. Um, and I look at him and I just go, You sure? teaching you this your mom teaching you how to talk to me like that is that is that jenna is she coming out have you been talking to austin it's austin isn't it the fact of the matter is sometimes you can look at your kids and say i don't i don't have a clue i don't know why they're doing that i don't know why they're saying that and that can be a, i just tell this for all the teenagers listen carefully that can be a very lonely place as a parent to be you think it's cool you think it's kind of funny let's keep them in the dark let's keep them guessing Do you honestly think that God wants you to leverage your parents in such a fashion where they can't help you? No. God gave you parents to help. Because in spite of what Braden says, you don't know everything. And we've kind of been down a couple of roads. And we're trying our level best to keep you from going into the ditch or going down the street where the bridge is out. We're trying to help you. And we want to help you. His sons turned away. They need to learn early as Christians that Christians don't quit striving for the mark. They need to learn that failure is not final. Let me say just a few things and we're done. I know I'm long and I I need to finish this. We need to pray for God's grace because, number one, we're going to fail as parents. We're going to fail. God's not looking. You need to write this down. God is not looking for an impeccable life, but he is looking for a right heart. He's not looking for a perfect parent because in his infinite wisdom, he knows what we don't. There is no such thing. So quit beating yourself up of your failures. God knows you're a failure. That's why he saved us. Amen. Because we can't save ourselves. So we're all going to fail. He is looking for a right heart. When you fail as a parent, make it right. And then put your faith and trust in his word to make up the difference. I think you have a quote there. Failure is not uh, it's not falling. Failure is not getting up again. Okay, so you failed. But the Bible says the just man falls seven times, but he rises again. He knows that's why the disciples were like, Lord, how many times should we forgive each other? Like so seven times he goes. Try 70 times seven. And everybody walked away going, oh my goodness, I, I don't know. Well, you, you can't do what you're supposed to do without having the right priorities. You can't. We're all going to fail. There are no perfect parents, so stop comparing and contrasting other homes with yours. Because theirs is just as much as a mess as yours. ours. It's just different. It's just a different kind of mess. We're all going to fail. Secondly, you need to remember this. Our children are going to fail. So Don't beat your children over the head with, well, you know, Christian children don't act like that the worst things that you can say to your children if they get saved young well christians are not supposed to act like that before you say that go and look at yourself in the mirror shut the door and say christians are not supposed to act like that and you probably won't say it to your kids don't don't do that don't beat them over the head failure is what grace is for write that down failure is what grace is for when they fail don't overreact don't think oh this is the end the sky's falling grace is greater than sin let's say that together ready Grace is greater than sin. Let's say it again. Grace is greater than sin. And we need to teach them that. Romans 5.20, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Teach them that's what it's for. When you fail, what do you do? You don't try to cover it up. You deal with it. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall find mercy. Listen, happy is the man that feareth alway, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. What you don't want is your kid's heart to be hardened. And when you don't deal with failures, yours and theirs, it gets hardened. And we know that. David wasn't perfect in his life, but he did find grace. Paul wasn't perfect in his life, but he labored for it. And you and I are just like they are sinners who've been saved by the blood of Christ who fail. And hopefully we've learned that God's love and grace is always sufficient and it never changes. Um, how many are watching The Chosen? Did you see the episode 6? You're staying up? How many have not seen episode 6? How many are planning on it? I don't want to blow it. I want to, I don't want to blow who it is and what they do. But in episode six, someone fails. And by the way, if you're not watching The Chosen, shame on you. Christians don't act like that. No. You should watch it. If you haven't, if you haven't watched it, go back. You can watch it free. Get the Chosen app. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. Start on season one. Watch the whole thing with a lot of Kleenex. And then go to episode two and then catch up to all of us so we can talk about it. Okay? Someone fails in episode six. And they don't want to go back to Jesus. They just can't. And God sends two people after him. And they find them. And they don't want to come back. Well, they come back. And they don't want to go see Jesus. But someone says, No, you got to go see. It. You got to take care of it. So they go and they stand before Jesus. How many know what I'm talking about? They stand before Jesus. And they say, I, I just, I can't do this. I failed you miserably. And he goes, I know. He goes, but let's take care of it. And they go, I don't know what to do. And he goes, well, I don't require much. And I'm just sitting there going. I'm <laughs> looking at the heavens going, God, this is amazing. And then all she does is she goes, I'm so sorry. And Jesus just grabs her and I lost it. And you will too. If you have a heart for God, you just ball. Why? Because that's us. When we fail, Whether we're parents or whether we're kids, Jesus loves us always. We teach them that song. Jesus loves the little children. Whether, it doesn't matter what color they are, but it doesn't matter what color their heart is either. It doesn't matter their actions. The love of God never fails. Amen. And if that's true, then we've got to teach them that early and remember in our heart, man, as frustrating as it is for me to look at a child that repeats the same thing over and over and I go, ah! I'm going to lose my mind if you do that one more time. The Holy Spirit always reminds me, I've been saying that to you for 50 years. When are you going to learn? And oh my goodness, it's humbling, but it's what keeps us balanced. To say, God, I'm going to fail. My kids are going to fail. That's what grace is for. So let her see, and here's the crux of it. You're going to have to pray a circle of protection around them. And they still may rebel. What do you do if your child walks away from God? Let me encourage you. You don't. You don't. We're living in a society that blames everybody else under the sun for the decisions that they make. And we look at them and go, well, they just, 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 well, us too. Well, I'm not going to be faithful because barf. And when we get to heaven, that's not going to hold a candle to the truth. What do you do? Well, you stay faithful to God and you keep on praying. Samuel, listen, and I'm going to show you this from the Bible. Samuel never allowed the behavior of his sons to discourage him from the will of God for his life. Did you hear what I said? Now I'm going to prove it to you. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12. I'm going to preach next week in the 4th of July message out of the next chapter, but I'm going to skip ahead here to prove a point here. Now, remember, Israel's done. They don't want judges anymore. They want a king. We'll talk about that separately. But Samuel, in all of this, who the Bible confesses in chapter 8 is old, and he wanted a successor. He had an exit plan for his kids to become the judges of Israel, of course, not knowing God's eternal plan. And yet they walked away. Now, Samuel who goes, well, I wanted to retire last year, but I guess I can't. I I wanted to, you know, go fishing and relax and sleep for a little bit and not run my shoes to death going around in circuit, but now I can't because my sons are not walking with God. So I guess I'll just walk away from God too. God, that's not fair. I spent 60 years in the temple. My mama gave me to Eli, and, and I've done everything I possibly could, and my kids have walked away, so I'm walking away. God, it's not fair. It's not fair. I labored. I provided. I did your will. I preached. I tried to counsel people. I gave right judgment. I never turned in perverted judgment. I never took a bribe. I was always up front. He's going to ask them here in a two, two chapters before. Have I ever taken bribe from you? Do I have something of yours? Have I ever bent judgment because of you? And they'll all say, absolutely not. It, it, and yet Samuel did not look at God and say, well, that's it. God's word doesn't work. God, The Bible doesn't work when it comes to raising my children. Apparently it's different for everybody. He never did that. Instead, I want you to notice verse 20 of 1 Samuel chapter 12. And Samuel said to the people, fear not, you have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn ye not aside, for then should you go after vain things, though you could preach that for days, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people, amen, for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Verse 23. Watch this. This is his heart. Moreover, as for me, now picture, let's just say by now, let's just pretend, let's say he's 70. You could say he's 80. I don't know. Picture this old godly saint. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he had done for you. Samuel never quit. What do you do if your kids go wrong? You don't quit. You don't stop being faithful. You stay faithful. What do you? What do you stop doing? Well, you don't stop praying. God forbid that I should cease from praying for you. Now, God through Samuel knows what they're going to do. They're not doing God's will. But he doesn't say, I'm going to stop. Could we surmise that if Samuel would not stop praying for a nation that turned their back on God, that he would not stop praying for his own boys? who are a part of that nation. Yeah. Yeah. I vote Samuel still prayed for his sons. I vote Samuel still wanted their sons to come back to Christ. I vote Samuel still wanted his sons to see revival. So when your children, if your children, decide, I'm not walking in those ways anymore, love them. Don't stop praying for them. Does that mean I have to approve of their lifestyle? No. You have a parental right not not to approve or to disapprove or approve of anything in their life that doesn't honor God. But just because you agree or disagree shouldn't dictate whether you pray for him, whether you love him. God says to his people, it pleased me to make you mine. Oh, my goodness. For this cause, we also, since the day that we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened. With all might according to his glorious power. That's Colossians 1, 9-12. Pray it over your children. I close with this. God's trusted you with a life or lives. You and your wife are joint heirs together of the gift of life in your kids. What you do in the span of time that God gives you with those precious gifts truly does matter. But what you do with the grace of God matters even more. Pray for God's grace. Pray as if it all depends on God. And then live and act As if it all depends on you. And the results, hopefully, would be something like this. This is God's testimony. One of my favorite parent verses. Genesis 18-19. This is what God says about a man. For I know him. That he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord. To do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and for your promises. And God, as a failing parent, I confess to you, I need you so badly. And God, I I don't know, there may be one, there may be more parents in here today that we confess the same. I need you so badly. I need you badly for my sake, but I need you badly for my kids' sake. I need you badly... For the sake of Jesus and them, and Lord, we uh, we're so sorry for leaving you out of it. We're so sorry where we trusted ourselves, where we thought that our way was better. God, I don't know that we would ever say that, but our lives, our lives, speak louder sometimes. Forgive us, Lord, where we've been out of balance. Help us to put the right emphasis in the right place. Please bless this invitation. Please help our hearts to be tender and open. Lord, it's right for us to pray for our teenagers as they go away, but, Lord, it's right for us to pray for us. And it's right for us to yield and surrender to the Holy Spirit. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, I wonder today, if it's time just to get some faults confessed and recognized. Maybe it's time today to do some reconciliation with the Holy Spirit of God. Maybe right where you're sitting, you could just just talk to the Lord about being a daddy, about being a mama. Talk to the Lord about the right priorities. Teenager. Talk to the Lord about being a right teenager. Ask him, God, do I have a bad attitude when it comes to speaking to my mom? Do I have a wrong spirit when it comes to my life before my parents? I would say this. Baseline Christianity always involves humility. And when we're not humble before God, we cannot have grace. I cannot reemphasize that enough, church. We need the grace of God. In order to have it, we've got to be vulnerable. We've got to be humble. We've got to walk lowly. Mom and dad, and I know not everybody in here is a parent. This, this message is for parents. Mom and dad, would you renew your commitment to, your, to God today and to your children? Would you do that right now? Would you just renew it? Your job is to see that they're prepared for this life as a saved individual who wants to do the will of God. Now, scale from 1 to 10, ask the Holy Spirit how you did or you're doing. And then let's start over. The past is the past. Confess it and let the devil play there. You live in the presence of God's grace and mercy for the next day. Heads bowed and eyes closed. How many would say, Pastor, God spoke to me personally today in my heart from this message. Would you please pray for me? How many would lift your hand up and say, God spoke to me personally in this message? Praise the Lord. I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Would you deal with that? However, he's spoken to you. Would you deal with that today? Maybe you're hearing you say, Pastor, I don't know for sure if I'm even on my way to heaven personally. I don't know that I'm a Christian. I don't know 100% for sure if I died, I'd be in heaven. But I need to know today. I'd like to be saved today. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand real quick? We'd love to help you with that. Pastor, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. I don't know if I died, I'd be in heaven. Mom and Dad, you should be praying about what kind of parent God wants you to be. And committing to live that way.